for a new episode of the Chronicles of Faye. It's time to recenter yourself. Become one with the spirits. Breathe in and breathe out. It's your time, so take it now to release yourself from the tensions of the day for a new Chronicles of Faye. I'm your hostess, Faye Wild. Let's begin with the thanking of the elements, shall we? We thank Earth for her stability and her growth. We honor her and ask her to enter our space. We thank Air for his intellect and creativity. We honor him and ask him into our space. We thank Fire for his passion and his will. We honor him and ask him into our space. We thank Water for her empathy and her healing. We honor her and ask her into our space. We thank Life for the divine forces and the intimate source. We honor them and ask them into our space. We thank light for its illumination and its revelation of truth. We honor it and ask it into our space. We thank magic for all of its power to create, to bring forth, to give us the power to explore and to experience all. We honor all and ask all into our space. Welcome, Earth. Welcome. Welcome, Air. Welcome. Welcome, Fire. Welcome. Welcome, water, welcome. (coughs) 
Welcome life, welcome. Welcome light, welcome. Welcome magic, welcome. We also thank the animal and plant spirits who give us life and sustain us. We honor them and ask them into our space. Welcome, plant and animal spirits, welcome. We also thank and honor the good fae and the good elven kindreds and the good peoples known and unknown spiritual forces beyond this plane. We honor them and thank them and ask them into our space. Welcome good kindred known and unknown. We'll open with a prayer to the divine, whoever that is for each of you, be it God, be it the spirits, we call upon the inner divine, the divine that guides and guides us all. I call upon the divine being or beings that through our consciousness, through the raising of our consciousness, we might help change the world with the inner light. So mote it be. To the hungry all over the world, I extend my inner light to the homeless who have no homes. I extend my inner light to the people suffering from mental illness. I extend my inner light to the people who are suffering physical illness. I extend my inner light to the soldiers who are fighting and dying all over the world for freedom, for peace. I extend my inner light to the oppressed all over the world who cannot fight for their own freedom. I extend my inner light.
to all those who are in hospitals right now, I extend my inner light. To those who are in prison, I extend my inner light. To the downtrodden and the lonely, I extend my inner light. To all the children who have no home, I extend my inner light. To people who are experiencing spiritual pain, I extend my inner light. To the people who feel hopeless, I extend my inner light. To all people on the planet who are suffering in any way, I extend my inner light. And we'll end with a prayer. I extend my inner light to all who need it. To the planet, to the earth itself, to the universe and the multiverse, to the kindred's good who need the inner light. I ask that this inner light be manifested in the universe and in the multiverses, that through my inner light I might bring forth changes. I call upon the power within the gifts of the divine, that I might remember the inner light within all beings. I call upon the inner light to snuff out the darkness that causes suffering, pain, loneliness, fear, illness, and all things that are not profitable. Thanks be to the divine for the gift of empathy. So mote it be. Let's take several deep breaths. Focusing in on spirit, on being calm in the spirit. Close your eyes, get comfortable. Relax. Let's take seven deep breaths in. Focusing now upon your body. 
breathe in breathe out Focusing on all of those muscles in the body, relaxing. Breathe in. Breathe in. Breathe out. Letting your mind relax as you breathe in. Focusing in on mind. Releasing any tension, stress of the day. Breathing out. Breathing in. And out. One last breath in. And out. And now. As you feel your mind drift along, listening to my voice, listening to your inner voice, and as you do, you notice that there is a doorway of misty, pearly, golden light. And as you walk towards it, you notice that there is a energy that's pouring out into the air as you step through the doorway. And as you do, you notice that you are in the middle of a meadow surrounded by trees. A beautiful stream gurgles in the distance. To the left, there is also a beautiful fire pit to the right. And hanging in all the trees are crystal wind chimes in the shapes of moons and stars and suns, unicorns, fairies, merfolk. And the sound takes you into itself. Just the sound of the water running, the fire crackling, the wind chimes blowing in a breeze. You feel contented. You take a nice deep breath and sniff the air and the air is filled with the lush scents of newly cut grasses and flowers that are starting to grow and the wild scents of herbs and wet soil, rich earthy soil. And as you're standing there, focusing on all of these senses that you're feeling, hearing and seeing, 
you will walk forward and you feel the wind's breath on you. It's a very gentle feeling. And the moment that you feel all of this at once, you see that there is a guardian who seems to step out of the woodland. And this guardian is a small, what looks to be a spirit of some kind. can't tell if it's female or male because it has long hair but it also has a very it has a very otherworldliness about it the hair is a deep rich black as black as the best soil that you ever been come across intertwined within that rich deep black hair are vines and flowers and leaves and as you look closer you notice that the skin is completely smooth but hard as bark and you look over this being and this being says that they are the guardian of the wood and you ask what kind of being it is. And it tells you that it's a dryad. And coming out of the woodland is a centaur, followed by a satyr. The satyr is a tall, was a short, sort of goat herd, goat horned headed boy being. These creatures are very sexless, sexless in appearance. <laughs> the center nods and trots back into the forest. While the dryad and the satyr look at you. And the satyr nods to the dryad and announces that he is also the guardian of the woodland. And that they are here to guide you and guard you and protect you while you're in this land. And as you're feeling safe and almost quietly amused because it feels so peaceful here, But the dryad in the center will stick close to you as you feel the urge to walk between the stream on your left and the fire on your right through the trees. And as you walk through the trees, you notice that there are other dryads and satyrs and a few centaurs. And you turn to your guardians, the centaur in the centaur in the woods who greeted you at first. You see a flash of his chestnut brown hair, coarse hair. 
But you ask the satyr and the dryad if there is any wisdom that they need to teach you. And whatever wisdom it is, please speak it now. And as you walk forward, you notice that there is a sound up ahead of some singing. And you walk forward through the woodland, smelling all the smells of the oak trees and all of the other trees, the pines. And you come come upon a clearing that is surrounded by these massive trees. They're about as wide as three trees put together and about as tall as several trees on top of each other. And you look up in amazement because the branches are all intertwined and interwoven so that you see platforms and bridges crossing from branch to branch and tree to tree. You see ladders woven of vines. You see that there are little lanterns lit as the sun starts to sink into the horizon. And as you look around, you notice that there are hanging baskets filled with fresh fruit and herbs and flowers and nuts and all kinds of things. And that in among the trees, up above you, you notice that there are there are homes seemingly woven out of the branches with platforms of herbs and and all kinds of wondrous and whimsical places to stand and as you take in the fact that there are 12 trees that are surrounding this little clearing and that in each one of them are stories and stories of buildings up there all protected you stand and you turn around and notice that the satyr and the dryad have vanished But as you start to worry, you see her hair from beyond a tree, and you know that she's watching. And as you take in this sight, you see that there are children that are playing among the branches. And they are tall and fair and beautiful to behold. And as you are there, you notice that there is one who comes down from a rope vine that seems to have plunged from high up, but they, know, they don't seem to notice how high they traveled. 
but they land just in front of you with a soft sound, almost inaudible against the sounds of children playing and people working in the trees ahead and above. And you look at this one, and he is a, a male being. And you know him for an elf because of the way his hair looks and his face and the way that he seems to be completely in tune with the earth around him. And he nods to the dryad and the satyr who come out of the trees at last. And he turns to you and beckons you toward him. And so the three of you go up a ladder into the trees. And the elf introduces himself. And he shows you this place of trees and nature and how everything is harmonious and connected and how the magic of the place just flows with energy. And at that moment, he nods to you and offers you a drink. And as you accept, you notice that among the trees seem to be fountains among them as well, where fresh water flows. And he gives you some. And it tastes of, of, of very faint flowers, as if flowers were part of the fountain. But it's a very mild scent. And there's a taste of wild honey and mint. But it's very faint. The water is cool and sweet and delicious. And you thank the elf for the drink. And he asks you why you're here and you say, is there any wisdom that you wish to teach me? Here and now. And as you think the elf, he says that he must go and that it's time for you to go as well. So he leads you down through the trees and you feel a need, an urge to go forward. He offers you a lantern of some kind that seemingly to be made of some very delicate, flexible metal that's carved with vines and flowers and butterflies and you walk along because now you hear the sounds of the animals in the woodland 
But you know that the satyr and the dryad are walking beside you. And you know that here you cannot, you cannot be harmed. So you walk along. And you notice that you're feeling a little bit sleepy now as you journey through this place. But you soldier on through the dark forest till you come to a small clearing where there's a stream. And the setter and the dryad halt for a moment. And near the stream there are also there is also some sparking light that is dancing above it. And as you look closely at the light, you notice that it is a fire sprite. Wings of gold and yellow, hair as blue as flame, skin as orange as flickering flame, eyes like molten white pinpricks in his face. And then you look into the stream as you hear a splash. You hear a splash, splash. And you look down to see a silvery fin flickering amongst the water, the dark water. And it seems that the watery being and the fiery beings are just there, enjoying themselves in the, in the nighttime air. And then she rises from her place in the water and crawls on a little rock that's in the stream midway, almost as if she's sitting on a throne of rock, surrounded by other of these finned creatures. And you catch a look at her hair and it's and it's like it's like the green of water, vibrant, fresh. It's almost a sea green color. And her eyes her eyes are like the like the beautiful deepest blue and her body is long and thin and attached to her lower half is a tail glimmering with silvery scales woven in among her hair seashells and little bits of coral and pearl and water plants. And then the sprite comes down and lands nearby, but not too close. And woven among its hair, jewels of all kinds and metal, golden, platinum that is shaped into feathers and birds of all kinds and flames dancing flames in its hair 
And you can't help but notice the, the beauty of the place, the quiet serenity of the woodland, surrounded by the dryad and the satyr and the fire sprite and the undine. And they all begin to converse and you feel almost as if you're part of the elements, part of everything around you. And you know that there is a great magic. And you feel compelled to create something but you don't know what to create. But you know that eventually this little meeting, gathering of beings has to end soon. For the dryad and the satyr, they bow to the sprite and the undine and thank them for allowing you to rest with them for a few moments. And you soldier on through the woodland, listening, listening and hearing all of these beautiful beings. You hear little laughter in the forest. You hear the hoot of an owl. You hear the bright sound of music ahead. And you're almost drawn toward the music. And the satyr and the dryad, they urge you on. And it's clear that this is the place where you should be going. And so you walk along until you come upon some trees and almost a gateway woven of vines and branches. Almost like the gate is decorated with flowers because you can smell a rich intoxicating smell of flowers and even though it's cool in the woodland tonight it's almost as if spring is here and as you go to open the little latch that opens the gate the satyr pushes your hand away and opens it himself and as you marvel, the Dryad explains that only those who are invited by the Fairy Queen and the other people of the wood may open the gateways into deeper mysteries of magic. As a guest, you're allowed to come along, but unless you are given permission, you're not allowed to open the gateway. And so you nod and you walk through the gateway behind them and you see a ring of stones interposed with mushrooms of all kinds. And in the midst of the fairy ring, because you know that's what it is, you see many fairies fluttering, dancing midair, music played by music played by fiddlers music that is so intoxicating and 
so beautiful that you can't help but notice it. And they stop because in the center of the ring is a tall fairy standing there. Her gown looks like jewels and her hair almost alive. And the flutter of her wings makes you feel all kinds of things. And you bow your head because you know that she is the queen of the fairies. And she beckons you forward and says, what do you wish of me? So you say, is there any wisdom that I can gain from you here? And now, oh fairy queen. And once you have finished with her, you know that it's time to move on. But instead of leading you all the way back through all those places you've been before, the queen nods toward a pathway and says that you may come back to this place if you wish. And as she does, she lifts her arm her diaphanous gown blowing in a soft breeze, and her thin hand raises toward a path. And as you walk toward it, you know that it's the way home. And so thanking the Dryad and the Satyr for their guardianship through this time, you start to walk along the pathway It's so clear and broad. It's almost as if she made a pathway through the forest for you. It's almost as if she anticipated that you would be tired of walking back through all of these places that you visited. And you begin to walk along the pathway and it's strewn with It's strewn with lanterns like yours. And you notice that there's a clear space. And so you set your lantern down, knowing that you are guided by the lights. And as you walk forward, you see the doorway that you walk through. And you walk through it. Take a nice deep breath in. Stretch, stretch, stretch. Stand up if you want to. Move around your room, become aware of the present.
Greetings, and welcome back to another episode of the Chronicles of Fae. Today I'm going to talk about the challenges of being a blind pagan. I did, um, at the very beginning of the podcast, I think it was episode 5, what it's like to be a blind pagan. <clears throat> it was a great um, beginning. But today I'm going to talk about some of the challenges that can happen with, as a blind pagan. I'm going to talk about... Um, solitary practice first and then I'll go into covens and things like that so what do I mean by the challenges of being a blind pagan well it can be difficult to practice paganism or any faith really if you're visually impaired especially if there aren't a lot of materials to work with as I've said in past episodes a lot of my material at first was gotten through the internet once I was able to get access to the internet, and finally some audiobooks on Audible, and not a sponsorship, just saying that um, that is an, that is one way that I was able to get some materials. Now there's uh, some more materials, newer stuff, on another service that I use called um, Bard, which is the um, Braille and Talking Book Library. Um, that is, um, <clears throat> that is free for blind people to use, um, in the United States, and that has some pagan material. It's starting to get more. Not a lot, but it does have some. Um, but, um, I started practicing paganism in 2006, and, um, <laughs> And uh, back then, um, you know, I was able to start getting information where I could and finding medical metaphysical shops to go to and stuff like that. But it can be really difficult. <clears throat> For example, at one time I was really into the goddess Morrigan and the goddess... Um, Morrigan is, uh, for those who don't know, the goddess of war, love, um, magic, prophecy. She is the guardian of the dead. She's a Celtic goddess. And the, I read a book, because um, I was able to get some, some on Kindle, and there was a ritual in there. I don't remember what it was about, but I think it was about protection for the home or something. But you had to, like, bury four pieces of mirror on the four corners of your home. And, like, I lived in an apartment at the time. And I didn't have land to do that with. And so I was like, um, there's no way I can do that. And then there are some, um, magic that call on using certain colors. And I can see color... Of course, I have some color uh, problems with different, like, darker colors. Like, dark green and black are hard for me to notice. Navy blue and black, I can't tell the difference um, between those two colors and st stuff like that. Like, really dark colors are harder for me to to see. So, um, uh, you know, so I was thinking, well, how would a blind, totally blind person... Um, be able to use color magic, which is why I sort of came up with a theory for using visualization, um, and, 
and creating your own altar space in your mind, creating your own temple space in your mind, because there, you know, you don't have to worry about this, that, or the other. The stuff is there in spirit form, which is why sometimes during rites I will uh, say I give offerings of this, that, or the other. The gods know the intent of the offering, even if I can't give a physical offering. So, and I think that those things are okay. And I think that, you know, I think that gods understand. I don't think that they are as tied up with ritual as we are. I mean, ritual is a wonderful thing. And as I've said, I am very ritual driven. However, being blind has caused me to sort of be creative and come up with my own rites and rituals and um and uh yeah coming up with my own rites and rituals and stuff um and so those things are powerful experiences i think that you know creating your own rituals um visualizing your own altar space and um using what you can um and as i said i can see some color but like that's why i always use white in if i can in exchange of anything else because white is a very universal color it can sort of be used to uh, for any kind of power or magic whatever you're going to use white is always a really good color for that type of thing um but coming up with my own rituals, excuse me, coming up with my own rituals, coming up with my own recipes for amulets and things like that, um, <coughs> has allowed me to sort of tailor my practice to what I can do. You know, for example, excuse me. Allergies. Anyway, um, I was thinking about this for people who are using wheelchairs and stuff like that. And how, um, you know, in some rituals you're supposed to circumnavigate your circle. So you cast your circle and you're supposed to, like, walk around it clockwise to bring in more energy. Well, someone in a wheelchair who has a very small apartment where their altar is against the wall, um, or anyone who has who has small space and their altar is against the wall or something like that. Um, that is not possible. Or if you're blind and your altar is there, but you've got, like, you know, if, if you're able to light incense safely, for example, um, lighting incense in a bowl of sand is a great way to do it. You don't want to, like, even if your altar is in the center of your room, you don't want to knock over your incense or whatever it is. Um, if you've got, like, a bowl of water for your offering or something like that, you don't want to bump your altar and knock things off of it. Um, so what do you do in those situations? You can, of course, um, you can, of course... Imagine that you're walking your circle. Visualize that you're walking your circle. 
and that will do um <clears throat> that will do nicely or if you can't imagine that you're walking just imagine that the circle is is all around you and imagine just perhaps floating around your circle or um something else just as valid I was thinking about like people who have asthma and a lot of people burn incense that have very strong scents and those strong scents don't bother me. I know for some asthmatics and people with chronic lung problems that um, scents can be a real difficulty for them. So burning flameless candles um, or having like a bowl of potpourri nearby that doesn't burn might be a great um great substitution for incense for example um having those plugins that um plug in and and exude scent faintly well might be a good thing so disability and paganism um can be worked out though it can feel it can be something that you might feel like you struggle with and why well, try because you're supposed to call these quarters and and then of course there are other things like sigil magic which is drawing symbols on paper and and anointing them with oils and then you know and then you know maybe burning them i mean you could you could get like a large cauldron that's iron and you could put the thing in that and light the paper in there and it would burn safely because the flames wouldn't reach above the cauldron but writing sigils um would be hard for a blind person so i don't use sigil magic runes and divination and tarot cards the other things that a lot of pagans use for divination I did at one time have a deck of cards that I had brailed myself. However, the book is was n I couldn't braille that because it would take several hours to do. So, I just would use the cards. I don't I don't know if I have them anymore. They might be sort of tucked away somewhere, but um I would just ask the gods what the cards what the cards are trying to tell me and divine that way. Another way I divined was staring into a black mirror, which, um, if you're not familiar, a black mirror is basically black in the center. Mine had ravens and rainbows on it, which is really cool. Um, and stare into that because you don't really need to see to do that. You just look at the mirror, you just point yourself toward the mirror, um, and close your eyes and see what sort of things you can get from it. Um, I did that with a crystal ball as well for divination by, by, uh, d by holding the crystal ball and sort of focusing in on the crystal energy and asking for divination. Um, drinking a cup of mugwort tea before doing that. Again, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a physician, you know, don't try mugwort unless you know you're not allergic to it or, you know, do your own thing. But, yeah, be aware. Um, mugwort is a really good herb for prophecy. Um, 
in the talk I did last year about dream magic, I suggested putting mugwort under the pillow or taking a drink of mugwort before you go to bed. Um, so you can scry that way. But a lot of um, books and, and tools and things are very sighted, very much for the sighted community. There are apps now that are more accessible for divination, but I don't like them because to me it's it's not as hands-on. Um, some blind people though swear by tarot decks on on an app store, which is fine. But for me, I just I I am very old school when it comes to that sort of thing. Um, so, but in your solitary practice, you can certainly um, adapt things to your, um, to your self. For example, you know, um, a lot of books say light these candles. Well, if you're scared to light candles or if you don't know how to light candles because you're blind, um, or say you're just kind of leery of doing that, you can use the battery-operated, um, candles with the light bulbs in the top. They're not the same thing, and no, they won't give off a smell. And to some, it might seem very artificial, but you kind of have to work with what you have. I remember when I first became, um, when I was first a pagan and I wanted to build my own altar. I swear, my my chalice was a, a coffee cup. Um, I had a plate in the north for offerings, and... Um, I had, I think it was a, um, Golden Eagle statue that reminded me of the air. Um, I had, uh, that was sort of, it was a plastic eagle with gold, gold painted in gold. I think it was the topper to some fancy perfume or aftershave bottle. I forget what it was, but I had that in the East. Um, someone had given me an Athame, so I had one of those, and, um, yeah, I mean, that's literally what I had, and then, of course, I would, uh, go out into nature with people, and while I was out, I would get things, like, there was one time where we were trying to clear away some invasive species, one time I was going to a uni Unitarian church, and, um, while I was there, I was able to pick out a sprig of cherry blossoms. And then there was another time where I got some pine cones and decorated the altar with those. So, I mean, and it was a very simple altar. Just my incense um, holder, a coffee cup, a plate for offerings, the golden eagle statue thingy, and the athame. That's all I had. And... You know, I worked with that until I was able to get more offer altar supplies um, and things. Um, you know, so, I mean, you can work with very little. And one of these times I'm going to talk about altars and how altars are very unique and, and very much tied to you in, in that way. I used an old entertainment center that uh, the the top of an old entertainment center is my altar at one time. <laughs> oh. Right now I'm using a 
glass pane uh, table suspended on the hand of a fairy statue beneath. That's my altar right now, and that's fine. Um, the trick, I guess, and the, the thing that I would say to anyone who is visually impaired who wants to get into paganism is to get... Um, is to get um, in touch with yourself and in touch with who you are as a person. If you can, get to a metaphysical shop. Um, now, some of you might not know what that means. Metaphysical shop, what's that? Find a place that sells crystals and herbs and statuary and things like that and and go and just see what it is you pick up. And see what it is you 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 um see what it is you take um from it and see what sorts of things you can use for your own um rituals. Before I got my Athame I used a butter knife because, you know, it is a dull knife and it is dull and because you don't need to use an Athame to cut physical things. Um, you know, it was dull, so I used that. So, there are ways to work around challenges, but you have to sort of work with your own intuition and figure out, that's, I guess, my takeaway for this, is that you need to use your own intuition to figure out what works for you, what doesn't work for you, and how... Um, you as a person can use your, um, can become part of the faith of, and, and figuring out your own practice. Now, as for covens, like, um, Covens can be a little different, especially if there are many people in this circle who don't know you, and maybe one person knows you who's brought you into the circle. Um, be clear, you know, you can be clear about what your needs are without being um, mean about it. Just be like, well, if you call the quarters, if I have someone to tap me... Um, tap me to tell me when to turn and where to turn um that would be nice for example or if there's an assignment for some ordeal or test of priesthood or something maybe have them give you something that you can do that will um that you can do for yourself that that is manageable instead of like drawing or bringing or making a bag of runes or something like that Find some way to fit into the circle. Find some way to um, find some way to fit in. It can be difficult, especially when entering a new situation, and you're like, "I'm the only blind person in this situation." Unfortunately, because the world is made up of sighted people, which I'm not judging at all. I'm just saying that that's just the reality of it. You have to sort of make your own mark, your own place within the circle. So finding an understanding priest or priestess or teacher 
whatever your circle um, teacher, whatever your circle leader is called, um, communicating with them and making sure that you have um, clear ideas about what you need or what you, what you want to get out of the circle is a good thing. And um, it can be a great and rewarding experience. Sometimes, however, it can be a not-so-good experience, and you might be discouraged by uh, the experiences that you have. But, you know, any spiritual person, you know, especially a leader, is going to try to accommodate you and accommodate your disability. Um, for example, if you really have struggle with allergies or something and that your priest or leader has decided that because it's in bulk we're going to be dressing our candles with this oil and that oil and you know that strong scents um, aggravate your lung problem, you know, just... Um, just speak up and say, well, I won't be attending that night because I cannot be around scents that are too strong. They might attack my asthma, but please go ahead and, and dress the candles. Or if you're feeling like you really want to go, make that known, you know. You can dress the candles, but could you go light on the scent, please? And... Any good leader should be able to accommodate you and accommodate your needs and desires for your practice. Because your practice is about your physical practice at home as much as it is about your circle and the coven or whatever group it's called. And, you know, if one of those things feels out of kilter and your practice is good but your coven circle isn't it could really give you some really hard and difficult times ahead what else do I want to say um the other challenging thing as I've said about being a blind pagan is that sometimes rituals are very visual like I was saying earlier. For example, at Beltane, a lot of people dance around the maypole. They have these ribbons in their hands, from what I understand, and they have to entwine them a certain way. That can be difficult, especially if you are not guided by another person who is there. So just be aware of your needs and who you are as a person and what you can and can't do. But also be, um, also be strong enough to say, hey, I need this service or I need that service. Um, I need your help because if you don't ask, you won't get what you want. And you're like, uh, I just, I could have saved a bunch of trouble for myself if I had asked. So, yeah, just ask. Um, 
Alright, so... Why do I bring all this up? Um, why do I bring this up and why do I talk about blindness and paganism and that sort of thing? It's normally, it's not a big deal and most of the time I don't discuss it. Like I said, I think the the few times that I have, I've kind of just brushed on it and sort of told you basic things or um, I've told you um, sort of um, in passing. Because, you know, just as much as you need to let your needs be known in your circle or adapt things in your own personal practice to what you can and can't do, you know, if you've got muscular dystrophy or something, you can't be um, arranging things or, um, you know, overdoing yourself or fatiguing yourself if you've got some kind of... um, disability with your hands or something, um, you know, so trying to work around the, trying to do what you can is really important because everyone should be able to practice the faith that they feel comfortable or feel most drawn to, and, you know, um, because paganism is very much about your own intuition, I think that it can be a very beautiful thing, especially if you create your own rituals and your own feast days. You create your own sort of atmosphere. You can do that as well. That's the beauty of paganism. Now, if you're wanting to study a tradition, a certain tradition, You might have to do things the way that the priests of that tradition want you to do them. But a good priest, like I said, is going to want to accommodate you because they want to see you in that tradition as much as you want to be in that tradition. But if you're practicing a solitary practice and the the rituals are tailored and designed for you, then don't be ashamed of that because... Um, I think that your own personal power is quite enough. It's enough for it's enough for what you need. So I hope that this has allowed you to experience and think about new ideas for incorporating your own um, self into your pagan um, circle and sort of creating your own practice within it. And um, thank you very much. And welcome back. Before we close out, we wish to thank and honor the spirits who have been with us today. We thank the good kindreds, the fairies, the elven kindreds, and all the kindreds of good who are known and unknown. They may depart if they wish. Farewell, known and unknown. We thank the plant and animal spirits who give us life and sustain us. They may depart if they wish. Farewell, plant and animal spirits. We thank magic, 
for all of its power and its beauty of exploration. All may depart if it wishes. Farewell, magic. We thank light for its illumination and truth. may depart if it wishes. Farewell, light. We thank life, for they are the forces divine, the intimate source, unparalleled and vast. They may depart if they wish. Farewell, life. We thank water for her power of empathy and healing. She may depart if she wishes. Farewell, water. We thank fire for his passion and his will. He may depart if he wishes. Farewell, fire. We thank Air for his intellect and creativity. He may depart if he wishes. Farewell, Air. We thank Earth for her growth and stability. She may depart if she wishes. Farewell, Earth, and blessed be.